0: Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters Podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at TimeShiftersPod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to TimeShiftersPodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeart Radio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, here again with Tom. Tom, how you been?
1: I am present and accounted for. (laughs) Uh, I can't ask for more than that. (laughs) It's still a bit of a week, but um, I'm here, I'm breathing, we're talking, it's all good stuff.
0: Excellent, cool. Other than uh, breathing and talking, I have been watching a little. You know what I watch for the first time in years? What's that? Austin Powers.
1: The I first s- Austin
0: Powers. I saw movie. that you
1: posted that. Yeah. You were a little harder on that than I was expecting. I still enjoy
0: it. I think it's a good film. I think and someone else pointed this out uh, on on the post is that it's a film that has sort of um kind of disappeared from the zeitgeist a little bit i mean that was like the movie everyone talked about for a while and you would dress up as austin powers i mean it was a halloween costume and things like that and now you don't hear about it much it just doesn't come up it's like no one's favorite movie or something it doesn't come up in conversation uh even the um Even the lines of, yeah, baby, you know, all that kind of stuff is kind of uh, dwindled. You don't get it as much as you used to. It's kind of strange. But yes, I I still really enjoy that movie, but I think it's, I think one of the reasons it's kind of faded is a little bit because of, as I described, Mike Myers started kind of chasing himself Mm -hmm. uh, in the years that followed Austin Powers. He had a couple really big hits, and then he kept chasing those hits and trying to have another and trying to do this and doing the same shtick over and over you know because it worked before so let's do it again and let's do it again and when, by God by the guy, time they got to the third Austin Powers movie I think that's the reason their, people stopped watching the first Austin Powers movie
1: <laughs> and, and I think you're on to something there because yes it was just tired and overdone mm-hmm. I mean The first Austin Powers, like I think you pointed out, is there wasn't anything really kind of like that. I mean, yes, there have been parody movies before, but this had its own little life to it. I mean, it was not just a parody of the James Bond kind of movie, but, I mean, it had its own energy, its own fun. Um, Yeah. And it was so cool at the time. But then they rushed to make number two, which was not terrible, but it's just a, okay, this is just that all over again, almost right down to the storyline. And then they rushed and made the third one. And even then it felt kind of like they were all just phoning it in.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Even Mike Myers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like. Even whenever they had any of the characters that had returned before, which may have been also Mike Myers, like Fat Bastard, uh, right? It just came off, just kind of, uh, okay, we're here, we're doing this again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I actually would kind of be more interested to know if uh, he wanted to make all three of those, or if that was a production kind of uh, choice. Yeah,
0: that's a good question. It would be an interesting conversation to have with him because, yes. I mean, I think he would have to be honest with the fact that yeah, by the third film is just not good. In fact, I thought it was awful. Yeah, no. Um, I think he may not necessarily think it's awful, but I think he would have to admit, yeah, that wasn't you know the highlight of my career or anything. So it would be very curious to have a conversation with him. And, you know, is that something you just really wanted to do, or did the studio pressure you into that, or was it kind of a mix of both? Is a
1: contractual obligation?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, no, all of those things all play a part in in these decisions, and we've heard of the movies that just get made literally to be tax write-offs in some cases. So, Mm -hmm. I like... Maybe I'd like to know a little bit more behind the scenes. Yeah. Was this a real attempt at making something, or were you just tired and forced to do it?
0: Right, but no, I I still actually really enjoyed the Austin Powers. Like you said, it has it. You that's a great way to put it. It has its own energy. I mean, it is. It isn't just a parody film, right? Because it's 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 a it's a parody of James Bond done by laughing. Or something, (laughs) you know, with the the music, the little musical interlude breaks and things like that. Uh, It's just, yeah, it's just, it's so out there and bizarre at at every moment that that's just, yeah, I just, I just really enjoyed that.
1: You actually said, it's out there, man. (laughs) Had its own vibe, dude. And like and it was it was simply entertaining it was just sad to see the gags get repeated over and over in all the sequels took the fun out of it
0: yeah I've not watched the second film yet I I will admit that I'm I'm looking at that one thinking I should watch that again but with a certain level of trepidation
1: (laughs) the second one I can give a little extra something to because I thought it was real fun Introducing the concept of mini Me, right? Yeah, <laughs> and Vern Troyer was awesome <laughs> as a pint-sized Doctor Evil, right? Like <laughs> right. that. It was just a lot of fun for that part of it. But yeah, the rest of it kind of played out. Um, it's actually even kind of funny. The premise was uh, um, is that Doctor Evil stole. Austin Powers mojo and right. it did it kind of felt a little like that through the film <laughs> cuz the 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 Dr. Evil and mini me thing was kind of the thing that took over the whole film. Those were the entertaining yeah. scenes. Right. The Austin Powers himself was just kind of there.
0: Yeah, it really kind of became the Dr. Evil's movie. Yep. Yeah, with special guest star Austin Powers.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then by the time you get to the third one with Goldmember, like, first off, he was just vile, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the eating the skin thing. <laughs> I don't even remember. I I I watched that movie once
0: when it first came out, and probably well, probably not until it came out to like home video. So I watched it once and just. Yeah, drank the brain bleach and have forgotten almost everything about it.
1: Probably best.
0: And yeah, I'm in no. I have no interest in reminding myself of it.
1: You have been watching anything in particular? Uh, I am of course chugging and barreling my way through um, uh, Top Gear. It is really my my comfort food right now. But right. Um, and, and I save these up for when I spend time with my son. Because Jack loves all the Marvel stuff and all the uh, um, the animated stuff, so we've been we caught up on all of the uh, Lower Decks episodes, which were they're just so good. They just really are good. Um, But then the one that I want to talk about though is the What If. Series from Marvel.
0: Oh, right. I've heard a little bit about this. I've definitely, I've obviously not seen any of it, but I have heard a little bit of it.
1: It, it is an interesting thing to introduce into their universe given what they just have done to their universe with the past two series, which were also amazing. Um, I say two, I mean three, actually. But the two in particular, uh, um, WandaVision and, uh, and Loki... They mm-hmm. specifically set the tone for where the universe is going right now, which is fractured. They've gone to right. a multi-universe, which that's what the what-ifs get to pick on, is if you create a multiverse, now you can tell all these other stories because they could be real in a different branch of a timeline. Interesting. And But there's an interesting meme because increasingly as you watch them, as you go through the episodes, without getting into the details, each one goes a little darker. And there's, a, there's an interesting meme that's out there right now where they show little snippets from um, each of the what-ifs. And it's like the last three episodes in particular, it shows a scene, a scene, a scene. And then it cuts to Deadpool going, you're kind of dark. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, we get into zombies. uh, We get into Avengers being killed before they're even Avengers. Uh, (laughs) It's just it's an endless stream of bleakness. (laughs) Nice. But it does make for an entertaining, like, uh, if you like these characters, let's show you how we can mess them up.
0: <laughs> I remember a uh, graphic novel from decades ago. I was trying to remember the artist. The, 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 the artist is what really uh, I, I remember most. And now I'm blanking. It's, it's like one of the artists, and I, I'm blanking on the on his name. The whole premise of the graphic novel was a what-if scenario. You know, you had some of your favorite heroes and everything, and it was like, a, you know, Peter Parker, he gets bitten by a radioactive spider, and he, you know, dies of horrible cancer or something, you know, some such, or something along those lines. Uh, uh, they had the Fantastic Four that it turned tragic. They they didn't even um, find the one body until the uh, horribly uh, burnt corpse, uh, Dying corpse of one of the other guys tripped over her, and you know, the the blood was. hot. It was like it was really dark and disturbing. It was, but it was along those lines. It's a little bit like what you were just talking about. Just right. sort of like a uh, a more okay, what would really happen or something? If
1: yeah, and that that's that's some of the fun. they they've taken some of it in fantastical directions. They took others uh, other parts of it um, and just. Yeah, unravel everything that you know about the the DC universe because right now they can.
0: <laughs> yeah, nice. Yep.
1: Yeah, so those have been a lot of fun.
0: With that, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll hear a promo for another show. When we get back, we're gonna talk about our next made for TV movie. And this one I'm kind of excited about it because it's a it's a six million dollar man movie. Yeah! to Sci-Fi TV. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Brent Barrett. I'm Kevin Batchelder.
1: Hi, I'm Wendy Hemprock.
0: The viewer's guide to genre television.
1: Welcome, everyone, to a special Supernatural Focus bonus Hello, show. everyone,
0: and welcome to The Fae Fox, A family of podcasts for the genre-loving television viewer. Welcome to Saturday B Movie Reel. Hi,
1: everyone. Welcome to the study welcome group. Welcome to the
0: top genre characters of all-time countdown. And
1: tonight, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones Season 3.
0: Find us at tuningintoscifytv.com.
2: Tonight, on the Movie of the Week Mission Control, Steve, what is it? What's wrong? I was hoping you could tell me He's alive. He lost an arm, two legs and one eye, but he's alive. I'm not sure he'd want to live if he can't be the man he was. What if he could be more than the man he was? We have the technology to rebuild him. I want it done no matter what the cost. if you can' beat him if you
1: can love him if you can now he's the six man. Man.
0: so wine women and war aired October 20th 1973 on ABC and is the second of three six million dollar man television movies the first being the Six Million Dollar man and the third is the Solid gold kidnapping both also airing in 1973. Promotional ads for this film declared it the premiere of a new monthly series, but only the Solid Gold Kidnapping followed in that format before it switched to a weekly series. In this story, changes were made from the previous film. Steve Austin, in that film, was a civilian astronaut, and the organization that rebuilds him is led by an Oliver Spencer, played by Darren McGavin. Here, he is given the backstory of being an Air Force colonel as well as an astronaut, and the organization is the OSI, led by Oscar Goldman, played by Richard Anderson. Steve's crash has retconned some as well, giving him a connection to Goldman prior to the crash, and also changing as the actor portraying Dr. Rudy Wells. Taking over from Malton Balsam is Cincinnati Comic Expo guest Alan Oppenheimer and he would portray Wells in the next film and throughout the weekly series before being replaced by Martin Brooks, who would continue the role throughout the remainder of the series as well as in the Bionic Woman. The synopsis here is taken from Bionic Fandom Wiki, because I was kind of running out of time when I was doing my notes. After a mission to steal an arms dealer's catalog in Egypt goes wrong, resulting in the death of a lover, Colonel Steve Austin is resentful when Oscar Goldman tries to get him back into the field. Instead, Austin escapes from the bionics facility and heads for a friend's Caribbean vacation home, unaware that his holiday is being manipulated by OSI agents. Soon Austin meets up with a Soviet colleague and finds himself back on the trail of the arms dealer with revenge for his friend's death on his mind. Also appearing in this film is David McCallum as Alexei Kozlov, Britt Eklund as Katrina Volana, Eric Braden as Arland Finletter and Earl Holloman as Harry Donner. A little bit of trivia here. Earl Holloman and Richard Anderson appeared together in 1956's Forbidden Planet. I was trying to remember where I'd seen Earl Holloman before. I was like, boy, this guy seems really familiar. And then I'm looking through some trivia, and they mentioned that they appeared in Forbidden Planet. I'm like, he was the cook. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are forgiven for not... <laughs> not pegging that one in one.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he, he was the cook that got uh, Robbie the Robot to make him a few hundred gallons of bourbon.
2: Just about one zolt left. Oh, genuine ancient rocket bourbon. See here? Hey! Well, you low-living contraption, I ought to take a can opener to you. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Yes, relatively simple alcohol molecules with traces of fusel oil. Would 60 gallons be sufficient? Gallons? Mister, I've been from here to there in this galaxy, and I just want you to know you're, you're the most understanding soul I ever met up with.
0: So there's a lot of uh, recognizable faces if you, uh, through 70s television. I mean, Richard Anderson, obviously everyone knows from the Bionic Man probably best. Uh, Yes, he was in uh, Forbidden Planet. Uh, David McCallum, I know him from uh, Sapphire and Steel, but he also had a couple different uh, television series in the 70s. One uh, was The Invisible Man, uh, which ran for a season or two. So, Tom, i got to ask you, have you seen this before?
1: I have to say, honestly, um, I didn't realize The Six Million Dollar Man had made for TV movies ahead of the series. So, this was a really interesting watch, and and I know I haven't seen the other ones yet either. So, um, as I'm watching this, I'm like, we should have started with the first one.
0: <laughs> we probably really should.
1: <laughs> uh, and, and, and for for some some reasons that as I was watching this one, we should have because uh, the love interest slash friend from the first few minutes of the the movie the one that is told we're told has been killed i kind of wanted to know if there was that in the previous one at all cuz i'm like we got no connection
0: no i it's been a while since i've seen that one i don't believe so i think that was just sort of thrown in here
1: and given that they did kind of change direction from one to the next I kind of figured that to be the case, yeah, this
0: is almost a reboot really when you when you when you come down to it.
1: I have lots to talk about related to this, but I have to say, like I actually genuinely really liked this one, yeah, it was like, enjoyable, wasn't it? It was very enjoyable, but I this could have easily been a Bond film.
0: Oh yeah. They definitely tried to do the James Bond thing here with Steve Austin in this one, right down to having him in the tuxedo that turns inside out to a wetsuit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that, that, that's right out of any of your Sean Connery days. <laughs> um, no, uh, granted, but I mean, it was kind of, I really liked the, how that felt. Um, and, And because I know the $6 million man from his actual series, which, yeah, he went out on missions and such, Um, there was more of a friendly nature between him and Oscar.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you Um, what you thought about that sort of... uh, their button heads through pretty much this whole thing.
1: Oh, like, they didn't see eye to eye almost at all. I mean... Uh, Oscar Goldman entirely sees Steve Austin as an asset. You're government property, dude. I'll do with you what I will.
0: Goldman is extremely cold and calculating in this. Very interesting uh, and very different from the one from the man that we learned to love, you know, throughout the series, who's Steve Austin's best friend and Jamie's sort of almost adopted father figure sort of thing in the Bionic Woman. Right.
1: Yeah, and then um, and the way that Oscar Goldman is using uh, Rudy Wells as just the okay, you're the man that put him back together, and you're my way to control him. Right. Honestly, I like that. A little. I like that a lot.
0: Ahead of its time, if you think about it. Very ahead of its time. This is these types of characters are the sort of things you would see in a series today.
1: Absolutely, that's what I was uh, stunned by. Was I'm like, yeah, you could easily drop this into now. Uh, I mean, it'd be a kind of a cheesy uh, James Bond movie today. But the characters that we were seeing and how they interacted, way more mature than I was expecting, and way more mature than what you got. Everything was very buddy buddy in in the uh, in the series, which plays well too. But this was far more intriguing. You're left
0: wondering how far either one is going to be able to push the other. And what's the consequences? You know, you have a man that you've turned into, into a weapon, into this... He, he, he can tear down the building around your ears. How far can you push him?
1: Right, uh, and, and the man that can tear down the building also needs this organization to maintain the body to which they have put him in. Yeah. He is an experiment. Things don't work always quite as well. Like I, out of the opening sequence, he gets damaged significantly enough that, uh, he has to, his arm has to be completely remended and it behaves differently after the fact. Mm -hmm. And then of course, because, uh, he, Rudy did a kind of a full body workover following the mission after he's basically hit with depth charges right. Uh, he actually manages to increase the capacity that that Steve Austin is capable of doing. And again, being Steve, that's gotta be a little scary too. I mean he wears it well. Um, but yeah, you need this organization as much as you don't want to work for it.
3: 55, 58, 60 miles an hour. Steve, I got to slow this thing down. You're going to break the machine. I did it. I did it, but I don't believe it. What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. You're not just as good as new. You're better. Those new booster gyros have improved your balance to the point where I'm afraid to find out what your ceiling is. <laughs> hey, Steve. I'm sorry. I am really about the girl, about what we've gotten you into. There's a part of me, the uh, the unscientific part, that wishes it had never happened. Why, Rudy? Why is she dead? She didn't do anything but provide me with the kind of information they pass out at the Egyptian tour center. She was seen with you. Oscar thinks they tried to make her talk. Steve, you're just going to have to realize that these things happen. You can't blame yourself or the organization. We've got a problem on our hands.
2: Steve Austin, give him time. He'll come around. We haven't got time. What do you know about a man called Arlen Finletter? I know we've lost an awful lot of good men to him. The safe that Steve Austin cracked in Alexandria belonged to him. It was supposed to contain an arms catalog. He deals in the nuclear black market. Nuclear black market. This country has been shipping and storing nuclear weapons all over the world for the past 27 years. Naturally, we've, uh, we've lost a few. But up until now, we've, uh, we've managed pretty well. Up till now? We've received a report that Finletter is trying to peddle American and Russian Polaris-type missiles. We've never lost a Polaris missile. At least, I don't think so. Then what's the problem? This morning, a Russian rocket expert arrived in the Caribbean to talk to Finletter. Russians don't fool easily. On the other hand, I stake my reputation on the fact that Finletter is a fraud. Rudy, we've got to get
3: our hands on that arms catalog. And we're going to need Steve Austin to help us. Well, if you're asking for a medical opinion, he's ready. But uh, given Steve's present attitude towards you and the methods of your organization, I wouldn't guarantee that he's going to cooperate with you. We're going to need Steve Austin on this mission with or without his cooperation. Steve, but don't sell Oscar short. He's a good man. Yeah, well, what's his limit? How far will he go to fulfill a mission? I don't think anybody knows what his limit is until he has to make that decision. Steve, you've been through an emotional experience. Oscar's arranged for you to have a little rest. What's the catch? No catch. You have the full run of this floor. Gymnasium, movies, food, drink, anything you need. The full run of this floor? Security, Steve. They can't let you leave this protected area until the mission you are a part of is completed. At this point in my life, Rudy, I owe you everything. You took the pieces and put them all back together again. But I'm nobody's robot. Not yours, not Oscar Goldman's, nobody's.
0: It's a really neat dynamic that you kind of wish could, you could see played out. In, in the series. Right, or at
1: least get it to a part, point where you actually evolve it to the point where they're now on the same side, they have a breaking point, somebody actually... The series never had a point where it needed to have Goldman have a heart, because they just gave him one right away. Mm-hmm. But you needed to have that moment somewhere where if this is the opening dynamic, you get that whole alright, right, we're on, we actually are on the same side, let's try to collaborate. Right. Like this. I really, I, I really did like how, how that was all playing out.
0: It was really interesting. And it had been a long time since I've watched it. And so I had forgotten the sort of ad- adversarial nature between the two mm-hmm. characters. And that uh, the Rudy Wells was sort of the, the in between, <laughs> you know, the poor, the poor guy that was stuck <laughs> between them.
1: Um, yeah. But that made him even more interesting. Yeah. I I'm just got to, pick this moment to go, thing for me with this one? The music. I think the incidental music
0: throughout the story is really good. Sure. The opening and closing theme tune, however,
1: wow. Yeah, I mean, that is hardcore 70s. Oh, that is horrid, horrid. (laughs) I'm going to contradict you a little on some of the incidental music, too. There were moments where the music didn't fit the mood of what was going on. Really?
0: I thought it was like good little spy action film type music. I enjoyed no, it. No,
1: no, because, I, I mean, it almost, again, with as mature as I thought they had taken the characters, uh, when you're having a suspenseful. Moment and the the music's just getting funky. <laughs> Steve's hiding in the car and, <laughs> and all that, and, and it's getting. <laughs> it's, like, it's still got to be a project of its time. I I understand that, but I to wanted- I wanted it to be a little more zen about it. Okay, <laughs> I, I needed it to settle in. Um, not every movie in the '70s with an action sequence had the walk-up yeah. music, it, it, so I, I wanted a little bit more. And, and and because I've only known the series and the theme music from the series, this was like. The hell is that <laughs> what am i listening to is this really the six million dollar man
0: oh yeah he's the six million dollar man man <laughs> try to yeah. you can try to catch him try to love him if you can he's the six million dollar man
1: yeah no that that was just too. can much. you and imagine if top. that
0: had made it to the series oh god
1: I I'd almost have to think if it did, the series wouldn't have continued.
0: It would not. It would not have. No. Uh, speaking of the series, of course, we all know, and this is actually something that didn't show up until I think second or third season is the bionic noises. Yes. So they were absent from this. So what, how did you, I was curious to see Cur- what you thought about the how they uh, portrayed the bionics in this.
1: Um, well, actually, I almost kind of dug that there was no sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're kind of wrong. The sound was there, but it wasn't related to him. <laughs> when they get to the missile silo, you, you heard that too. I did. I I was freaking out. I'm like, I wonder if this is where they lifted it for because it it was the eyeball sound. Yep. The do 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 do. I'm like, holy shit, that sounds there, but it's not. They're not using it for him. I'm like, that wow. But no, I got. I kind of dug that the, the uh, they muted that. I mean, and let's be real. Um, <laughs> if his bionics made that much noise <laughs> whenever he was using them, um, he wouldn't. He'd be kind of pointless. <laughs>
0: So, no, there was no noise, and there was no slow motion. No. If he was running fast, then they actually sped up the film, so it looks like he was running fast, or swimming fast.
1: Knowing full well, they probably didn't have a decent enough effect to make it look like his legs were fluttering at a speed so quickly that he could... uh, that he could take off in the water like that. Mm-hmm. I like that they just kind of did a torso shot where it was clear he's moving through very quickly. Yeah, it was cool. Creative. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, know your limitations, work within them, and get a good result. They, they, that's, that's how you do effects. Is you go. This is all we have budget for. Let's make the most out of what we can so we get the effect that we want. And they did it. Mm-hmm. They did it well. So And I wonder the decision to
0: change it when you to do the okay, he's going to run fast, so we're actually going to show it in slow motion, you know when they went to series. Was it just because they thought they wouldn't be able to get away with the... We're not going to be able to keep cutting them at the waist and not showing his legs every week.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put a little of that on crass consumerism as well. I mean, the effects that they did for the series... Let, let's face it, every kid emulated those effects. And you could... Because I mean it was the slow motion. Right. Anyone could sit there and go and do <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, yeah, to the point it gets made fun of in Caddyshack. Yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so it it became a thing and it, it it was literally it's a commercial unto itself. I mean, by doing these things you were that's $6 million man, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know what I'm, I know what you're doing. I can picture it. I'm going to go out and buy a Steve Austin doll now. <laughs> <laughs> we do get to see
0: uh, through his, his bionic eye, but no zoom lens. Right. Uh, and no crosshairs. No crosshairs. But we do get to see his night vision with it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's actually a really cool uh, use of the bionic eye.
1: And I didn't actually, I don't remember him actually having that in the series.
0: I want to say I read some trivia where they did a, uh, when it was done in the series, they did, like, again, the crosshairs, and then, like, made it look like infrared, so everything was red or something like that, instead of the green night vision.
1: I like the green night vision. I thought it was clever. The green night vision is a current thing, still. Yeah. That's how you do night vision. So actually, I really dug that, and I love that the the eye. The, it, it just they did a close up and had like the green lens mm-hmm. in there, and that's that's what you got. That was your indicator that he was using it. That was cool.
0: I think one of the reasons that the series lasted as long as it did, the reason they did three movies, and the reason it went to series, and the reason the series lasted has a lot to do with Lee Majors and his personality and the way Mm -hmm. he can deliver his lines and stuff. There is just a certain charm to him you can't help but notice.
2: How can you see where you're
1: going?
0: I eat a lot of carrots.
1: Everyone is noticing that he can do more than a regular human being, but the way he just plays it off so so nonchalantly right <laughs> it's just so awesome and and this is why i make the comparison i mean obvious the obvious reasons you would make a bond comparison but he has a sean connery like charm about himself in how he carries himself Oh, absolutely as the character oh if
0: if they could have if they were would have been willing to do an american bond Lee Majors, I think, would have been on the top of my list.
1: Quite frankly, given the way that this was, uh, I would have minded a a crossover movie with The Six Million (laughs) Dollar Man and James Bond. (laughs) Have Sean, especially at that time, so you could have done Sean Connery and Lee Majors in the same film. Can you imagine them out charming each other? (laughs) (laughs) The women that would be in there going... I can't decide. Which one to pick? (laughs) (laughs) Who do I find more charming and more attractive? He is a brick of a man, though.
0: (laughs) Body styles have changed over the years.
1: (laughs) They haven't, I'm not gonna say he was unattractive. He just he is just just a total brick house up top. Yeah. Uh uh not not cut necessarily, it's just he's this Giant, stocky man. No, well, he's muscular without
0: being that yes. ridiculously ripped. like this seems to be the way that you know, if if you're an action star today, you have to look like you can open, you know, use your pecs to pop open a bottle of beer or something. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, he's not he's not the Terry Crews,
0: <laughs> right? Um, and I actually kind of, I don't know, I kind of appreciate that. I just it feels a little bit more realistic. Mm -hmm. You know, it it doesn't look like he has spent months at the trainer or something like that. And I think it actually works for him as far as being the six million dollar man, because he's supposed to he's not supposed to be, you know, obviously so super, you know, so he looks relatively ordinary.
1: Right. Uh, And not to mention, if you're putting bionics in. So he's got an arm and two legs for sure. Plus then the eye. Right. The arm and the two legs are not likely to change shape very often. They're artificial. Kudos to the lack of scar. <laughs> <laughs> Rudy knows his business. Yes, he does. Oh,
0: yeah, very well.
1: Because <laughs> shirtless <laughs> for a man that has a completely artificial arm, there's no seam.
0: Nope, no seam.
1: No scar, no nothing. It can, it can, Hair still grow. It can take a tan he can take The legs, you could maybe forgive that they're uniform and below the shorts. What do you know? Right. <laughs> but we're not getting that scene. But, yeah, no. When he's, well, and the, the eye thing, too. <laughs> not, no scarring on the face from putting in uh, an artificial eye that'll do everything. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, no. Uh, but... Yeah, he just plays this character so well. Yeah. It, it, and this is before its series. So, right. I mean,
0: yeah, and that's what I think is fantastic is uh, despite the fact that, uh, you know, Goldman changes as mm-hmm. far as, you know, his character goes, and we do go through three Rudy Wells, <laughs> each <laughs> of them play the character maybe the same, a little differently, whatever. Lee Majors knew who Steve Austin was from the minute he was Steve Austin. You got the I get the feeling that's Lee majors. You really want it to be <laughs> well, because if, did you ever watch the fall guy?
1: Oh, I love the fall guy. Same guy. <laughs> it's, it's the same character. <laughs> right. But he had a more inspirational, uh, and definitely a different guy. Um, more recently, um, I became a fan of Ash versus the Evil Dead, and Lee Majors appears as Ash's dad. Nice. Brock Williams, <laughs> and he is a way different guy than Lee Majors. Oh, good. So, so, which, in that god, you would hope to be, because <laughs> so, doesn't, it doesn't quite fit. So Lee Majors
0: can act. That's, that's good.
1: He can, he can act. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Man, he still has some stuff in post-production. Yeah, he's still a working man. That's pretty impressive.
1: That is very impressive, given how long his career has been.
0: Nope, that's awesome. No, I'm glad you enjoyed this one. I don't know if I have uh, much... Oh, there is something we do have to point out. There is an issue I have with this film, and that's the end. Did we not see the $6 million man instigate an atomic explosion... In the middle of the Caribbean.
1: Yeah, you think someone might have saw yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So. Theoretically, five minutes later, we should have been at war with Russia. <laughs> Especially given that there were Russian agents there. <laughs> yeah. And one of them died.
0: Yes. Uh. Yeah. His bionics are fast enough that he can outrun an atomic blast.
1: Well, I'll be, be fair—he just got to safe distance before it went. That's off.
0: true. Good point. Yeah, this isn't a uh, get in the fridge moment or anything.
1: <laughs> you went there. That's not nice.
0: <laughs> but he and Brit—he e- carries Brit Eklund. He runs to a safe distance. They just hide behind a small hill. The explosion goes off, which they watch. <laughs> right. Uh, if this explosion takes place underneath a cemetery, so. Like, how many people have died at the hands of the $6 million man and his vengeance against this guy (laughs) that killed his girlfriend?
1: Which which we still only kind of sort of assume that she was his girlfriend. Because we only saw her for 30 seconds.
0: Or that we even assume that she's truly dead. I almost got the feeling, and I was kind of hoping we would learn that Oscar Goldman lied. It doesn't know anything about what happened to her. Or she's, or, or knows that she's living fine. She's happy and wondering why Steve hasn't called, just to manipulate Tur- him.
1: Turns out Rudy turned her into the uh, Bigfoot character from the later <laughs> episode. Yeah.
0: No, I just, I, I, It would have been, it wouldn't have been past this Oscar Goldman to, uh, to lie to, in order to man- manipulate Steve for some reason.
1: No, uh, and I grant you that, because we, we again, for a character that we got no screen time with, um, that we're supposed to believe he is, um, he does care for in a way, and the fact that Oscar's trying to manipulate him the entire time, um, yeah, I wouldn't have put it past them, and that would have been a great way to go... Um, but turns out she was uh, staying in the hotel somewhere near the atomic blast, and now <laughs> Steve. <laughs> yeah. Steve's responsible for her yeah, death. She... Now, and that—that's a whole new dark way to yep.
0: go. Turns out she got she got out of Egypt and uh, escaped to the Caribbean. Um, unfortunately, she went looking for him. She was running into the blast as he was running away, right. <laughs> chasing after him, Steve. Oh, that's all right. Because, well, you know, it was doomed to fail anyway because we all know that he was going to end up with Jamie Summers, so...
1: <laughs> but still, you do make a good point that... And as is typical for any 70s movie, too, the the explosion goes off, and that's essentially the end of the film.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no explanation, no what happens next, no, no even good old Glenn Larson... <laughs> uh, no. Scene at the end. No. But, well, we got we get a little quip.
2: As for a princess named Tamara and a friend named Alexi.
3: I think I understand better why they say American men are soft.
2: But like I said, we rise to the occasion.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah not, not, not exactly subtle or anything And, and, and you know what? No point Did she go What the hell are you? Right <laughs> You just ran me across across the ground at 70 miles an hour or whatever the hell he was doing. Right.
0: Come on, when you, when you come down to it, just especially when you get into the series, the $6 million man is probably one of the worst kept secrets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really, really is. That was what was weirding me out during the film, too, is it was a little unclear who even in their organization knew what they had done to Steve. Like, Steve's buddy that put him mm-hmm. up. I'm not sure that he knows what Steve
0: is. No, I don't think so. Well, because he was only like yeah. level five, he could talk to him, but he, they, he wasn't actually allowed in the wing, you right. know, the bionics lab or whatever. So
1: all in all the, this, this was a fun watch. And, uh, I always love it when we come, when, especially if you can introduce me to something that, uh, I one, I didn't even know really existed. Mm. Um, let alone, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, well, good. Well, go ahead and um, when you get a
0: chance, check out the other two. What's well, also nice, too, yeah. although they, they call them TV movies, they're only a little over an hour long.
1: Yeah, I was noticing that this one came in at like an hour 15. Right. You, so you figure it was maybe an hour and a half long movie. Right,
0: with commercial breaks. Um,
1: with the commercial breaks.
0: Yeah, so that makes them really easy to watch, which is nice. I mean, you can you could... Yes. You could honestly, you could knock all three out in a night if you really wanted to.
1: I, I'm hoping our, our our 31 Days of Halloween is as forgiving when it comes to the <laughs> TV movies.
0: Well, don't spoil it, any of that yet. We will talk about uh, the 31 uh, Nights of Halloween in our next episode. And speaking of next episode, we're going to go back to our MST3K Unrift, and we have chosen the Giant Spider Invasion from 1975. So this should be a fun watch. Um, I have seen it unriffed before, but it has been a while. But I I know there is some interesting little bits of trivia and stuff about the making of this film. So that'll be fun to talk about. And it'll give me an excuse to go back and watch the MST, which I also have not watched in quite some time.
1: (laughs) While we won't get into uh, our October plans, it is nice to kind of ease our way in with a horror movie.
0: (laughs) Well... We are talking the giant spider invasion, but
1: <laughs> I said, he, <laughs> good point. <laughs> Not to be taken serious, but I mean, yeah, it would have been considered at that time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, and I think that will do it for this episode as always. Thanks everyone for listening and, uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. So uh, until then, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks very much, everyone. Bye. See you.
2: can't be